Welcome to episode three, week three of our series, Oh Brother, where we're walking through each chapter of the New Testament letter, James. Now, James was Jesus's half-brother, but he's also his younger brother. And so we think it's really incredible to look at these words written down, uh, not just to us, but for us, written from Jesus's younger brother, James. I mean, can you imagine the pressure that James lived with growing up, having to follow Jesus's footsteps? I mean, James, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? I mean, it'd be a tough standard to follow, right? We also know that younger brothers often, they look up to their big brothers about how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to walk through the world. And so we think it's a fascinating thing that we can glean some wisdom from Jesus's younger brother. A couple interesting things about James. Uh, during the life and ministry of Jesus that's recorded for us in the Gospels, James is nowhere to be found. But after Jesus' resurrection, James is thrust into the spotlight and he becomes the leader of the early church. James went from not really believing his brother Jesus was special to believing that he was his Lord because of the resurrection. Isn't that cool? And so James became a leader in the early church, and to his dying day, he was writing letters and encouraging early Jesus followers, trying to encourage them how they should live and live out their faith. And that's what we have for us in the book of James. James is writing to Jesus followers that are dispersed. They can't gather together in some ways like we can't gather together today. But he was trying to encourage them and, and let them know that there's ways that they can become mature in their faith. They can grow up in their faith. And he talks about all these roadblocks, all these pitfalls that we could fall into to not become mature. And so that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. This morning, we're going to talk about another one of those pitfalls, one of those roadblocks that get in the way of us becoming mature in our faith. And today we're going to talk about the power and the pitfall of words, the power and the pitfall of our words, trying to tame our tongues. Now, before we go any farther, I just need to confess to you that this was a challenging topic for me to run after because I struggle with controlling my tongue all the time. I mean, I guess I was kind of born with a silver foot in my mouth. So often I'll say something and I want to grab it midair and bring it back to my mouth so I never said it. It doesn't actually work when I do that. Uh, I struggle with it all the time. I'm a, very much a talk first, think about what I'm going to say next person. And so this was a challenging message for me to prepare because there's so much that God's got to do in my life and that God's working on in my life. So I'm hoping that we can all take a step together uh, towards taming our tongue and understanding the power, but also the problem of our words together. Now, James, in five chapters of the book of James, he actually talks about the problem and the power of our words in each chapter. He talks more about taming our tongues than any other author in the New Testament. He has a lot to say about it. And words are just, they're interesting, right? And our language skills are interesting to me. Some things I discovered this last week, do you know on average that you speak one-fifth of your life? You spend one-fifth of your life, 20% of your life talking that's just crazy to me. Some more, some less, but on average, one-fifth of your life is spent talking. Now, if somebody recorded every word that you said during a year, a calendar year, 365 days, do you know that on average that would fill up 66, 800-page books, just the words that you speak out loud? Isn't that crazy? We spend so much of our time talking, and it reads as books, 66, 800-page books, just the words that you and I use. 
I mean, it's just kind of crazy. There's this neuroscientist, a guy by the name of Dr. Andrew Newberg at Thomas Jefferson University. He wrote this uh, book in 2018 called Words Can Change Your Brain. Isn't that a powerful statement? But he's a scientist, a neuroscientist, and he says that words can change your brain. And he actually, in the thesis of his book, he wrote this, that a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. A single word. They can repattern, change your genes. That's a powerful, powerful thing that's built into our biology, you guys. Our words are powerful. Words, they impact us greatly. You think about movies and TV shows that you loved watching growing up. Sometimes words could be tearjerkers or they could really make you laugh. I mean, there's some great movie quotes back to uh, Jack Nicholson in the 1997 movie, As Good As It Gets. He says, you make me want to be a better man. And that's a terrible impression, but that's my Jack Nicholson impression. But that might be a tearjerking sentence to you. Tom Cruise in the movie Jerry Maguire, he had that tearjerking sentence that I think is actually kind of funny as well. He says, you complete me to Renee Zellweger. If you remember that, it's a tear-jerking moment in the movie, terrible theology saying that another person can complete you, but that's another message for another time. But these words, they greatly impact us. Sometimes there's words written down for us in human history that impact us and they can inspire us in incredible ways. FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a president, he said this, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I mean, those are some inspiring words from a president in our history. Thomas Jefferson said this in the Declaration of Independence years earlier. He says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Powerful words. Then Lin-Manuel Miranda finished that thought. And he says, I'm a compel him to include women in the sequel work. It's from Hamilton, the musical. You guys should check it out. But those are inspiring words, right? Words can move us. They can inspire us. Words spoken to us, they can lift you up and make you feel like you're floating. If you've ever had somebody speak to you and say that I see greatness in you, if somebody just came up to you and said that I am so proud of you, or if someone close to you says that they're proud of you, those words lift us to make us feel like we're floating. But conversely, words spoken to you, they can tear you down as well. Words like you're weird, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid. Those are words that we can play on repeat for years and years and years. I remember it's been probably about 12, 13 years ago now, but the very first time that I ever sang with a guitar on a big stage at a big church, I was so anxious. I was so nervous. I practiced all week. I had everything memorized. I was wanting to bring my A game because I was playing with some musicians that I really looked up to that were much older than me and much more talented than me. And I wanted to impress them as much as I wanted to just do my task really, really well. And we went through rehearsal. We went through run through and I thought that it was going really, really well. Until about 10 minutes before the countdown for the first service, one of the musicians who I thought was an incredible musician, and I looked up to a lot, came up to me and was like, hey, Joel, um, I'm not a singer. You know, I, I play the drums, but I just want to let you know that um, something you're doing with your voice sounds terrible. It sounds whiny this morning. You should probably fix that. And I'll never forget how much that paralyzed me. And sometimes when I'm singing alone in my car or singing anywhere, I still hear those negative words on repeat, on loop. And maybe you've got some negative words that were spoken to you as well that impacted you negatively as well because our words that we speak or that are spoken to us, they are so powerful. There was this Jewish rabbi, Abraham Heschel, who said this, I think is so true. He says that our words create worlds. Words create worlds. 
They're so powerful. They shape how we live, how we walk in the world, and how we see ourselves and how we see others. Words are so powerful. And maybe that's why James spends so much of his time and so much of his ink writing the book of James. He talks about taming our tongue, the power and the problem of our words. So what we're going to do, we're going to spend a lot of time in James chapter 3 this morning, discovering and trying to glean wisdom from what James said about our words. And we're going to pick up here in verse 1 of chapter 3 as James dives into this topic and how we can grow to use our words wisely. He says this in verse 1 and 2, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. A better translation would be is complete, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, he says here that we all stumble in many ways when it comes to what we say. I mean, that's like a no-brainer, right? That we all say things that we wish we wouldn't have said. We've all um, had those words slip out that we wish we could take back. We're all struggling in this way. But he starts this whole passage off and he says, not many of you should be teachers, which is a little scary right now as I'm like teaching because I'm like, should I be a teacher? It's kind of like unnerving a little bit. But one of the ideas that I want us to grab from this when he says not many of you should be teachers because they'll be judged more strictly. One of the ideas of being a teacher in the ancient world was to have a platform, to to have a megaphone in a way or some um, system or process where many people could hear you. And today, even though uh, not everybody is a teacher in a religious circle or a preacher in any way, um, I think most of us have a platform in ways that James and his original audience could not possibly imagine. And the platform that you have and that I have that almost everybody on planet Earth has is social media. We have a way to reach out and speak and let our voice be heard in a multiplied fashion um, that they couldn't even dream of in the ancient world called social media. And so I think James is kicking off here and says, whatever platform you have, if you have a voice that can possibly influence anybody, I mean, you should be careful because the words you use are going to be damaging to other people. I mean, think about social media. Now, it's not a negative thing. It's not a positive thing. It's about who's the user, right? But since the advent of social media, there have been some really negative words that have been introduced into our American English lexicon. For example, the phrase cyberbullying, trolling, mom shaming, those words weren't even around before social media. But now people have this platform and they can use it in a negative way and to hurt other people or to cut other people down or to criticize other people. And James is saying, teachers, people with platforms, be very careful because the words you use can be damaging to other people. James is kicking off this session, this section of scripture saying that words are powerful. He wants you to know that your words are powerful. In the next couple of verses, he uses a lot of different illustrations, a lot of different analogies to let us understand how our words are powerful. He says this in verse three and four. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot of the ship wants to go. 
Now, he's making this point that our words might seem very small and very uh, subtle, but they can really direct the whole purpose and the whole direction of our lives. He talks about a bit that you put in a horse's mouth that's only about a pound and a half to two pounds, but it can control and steer an entire horse, which is over 2,000 pounds on average. A bit might be small, but it can really direct where the horse goes. And he goes to the nautical example as well, talking about boats, talking about ships. And this could be a big boat with lots of different people on it, carrying a lot of different cargo. But he says the small rudder, that's what determines where the boat goes, where the ship actually goes. And the rudder might only be a couple feet wide. In other words, James is saying our words might be small, but our words steer our lives. They direct where our lives go. And many of you guys know this. There have been words that you have spoken that fractured a relationship. It might have been the end of your first marriage or your second marriage. It might have been the end of a great relationship with your kids or your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. But words, they steered the direction of your life away from a healthy relationship. Your words could wreck your reputation. Something that you say or something that you said that's been online, it can wreck your reputation forever. Your words, they can end your career. If an email gets found or if you say something that's out of school at a meeting or to the media about your company, they can end your career. Our words might seem small, inconsequential, but they steer the direction of your lives. James continues with these incredible word pictures talking about the power of our words. He says this next in verse five, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You guys might not remember this. It took me a while to recall this, but in 2016 in the Smoky Mountains up by Gatlinburg in Tennessee, there was the Great Smoky Mountain Fire. And this thing burned for a couple weeks. There were 14 lives lost, 200 people were injured, 10,000 acres burned, and over 2,500 buildings that were burnt to the ground. And it was just this scary moment on the East Coast because there's a lot of forest fires on the West Coast, but on the East Coast, we don't see this very often. And there was all this damage done, so there was a huge investigation. For a long time, they thought that it was two kids that had some cigarettes, and they you know, flicked a cigarette out into the forest. But really what they determined was that it was one power line that actually went down, and there was just a gust of wind that blew the fire just in the right direction, just at the right speed. And that's what caused 14 people to lose their lives, 200 people injured, 10,000 acres burned, and 2,500 buildings burned. It was just the wind blowing at a certain way and one power line that fell at the right place. A small spark, something small, led to this huge forest fire. And James continues on and he says, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. I mean, he is not mincing any words. He's coming out swinging, talking about the fiery, damaging nature of our words, that if we don't tame our tongue, this is what happens. In other words, your words can burn things down. And like I said, you have probably experienced this in one way or another, or you've had words spoken to you that burnt you down. But let's put yourself in the, the driver's seat for a second here with the way that our words can burn things down. I mean, your words might be a fire like a match. It takes a lot of friction. It takes like one moment, 
But you know what? You shoot out and you use your words after you strike that match. And that's how you speak hurtful words to people. But it takes a lot of friction for you to get there. Your words might be like a match. Your words might be like a lighter. Like the, your words, you can burn for a long time. An average Bic lighter will burn for 20 minutes straight if you just let it go. And when you actually flick that switch, oh man, your words, you're going to go off for about 20 minutes and you're going to burn for a long, long time. Steady, negative, critical words are going to be spewing out of your mouth. Your words might be like a fire, like a lighter. Your words might be like a lighter, but with an arm on it to keep your fingers, your hand away from the flame. And this is for our passive aggressive friends that um, they, they, they want to really speak negative words to you, but they want to be at a distance when they say it, or they want to talk behind your back, or they want to just sort of jab out at you and not be real direct with their negative words. But maybe that's how your words burn. Or maybe, I mean, you're not subtle like the lighter, the match, the lighter with the, the long arm, but maybe your words are like, like a blowtorch to where you just, when you're set off, man, you are just burning everything down. You've got a lot to say and you know exactly how it is that you're going to hurt the people that you want to hurt and you want to make sure that you inflict some damage on them. And that might be a dark thought, but the reality is that we all have these different tendencies and personalities that lead us to do some serious damage with our words. The words that we use, guys, they can burn things down. They can burn relationships down. They can burn people down. And that's what James is saying. Our words, they might be a small spark at the start, but man, it can do a lot of damage. He continues on in verses seven and eight, and he says this, all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, James illustrates here with the idea of domestic, uh, domestication of animals, you know, like taking care of animals, taming animals. He says, we've done this with lots of different animals and it takes constant attention to do it. I don't know if you guys have animals at home or if you're dog owners. Uh, my wife and I have had this incredible 80 pound golden doodle named Lainey now for a little over eight years. And she is just a really big puppy. But when we got her, she was like this little, we could hold her in our hands. And so I'll never forget when we were trying to potty train her at our first home, we joke all the time that we didn't potty train her. She potty trained us because we didn't want her to go in the house. And so we just let her outside like every hour and a half, every two hours, if we could. I remember one time, uh, Megan, my wife would say that uh, they were trying to get her to go outside to go to the bathroom. And she was just so mad that she wanted to be in control of the situation that Lainey just sat on the bed and went to the bathroom, staring at Megan the whole time, like trying to have this power struggle. But it took lots of um, constant attention, a lot of the rhythm of us practicing and having this intentionality for Lainey, our dog, to get potty trained for us to domesticate her. And I think what James is saying here is that, hey, we need to have like a lot of practice, a lot of intentionality if we're going to tame our tongues as well. I mean, we can do it with animals, but our tongues, man, it takes a lot more intentionality than you can possibly imagine. He says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's he, At the end of this passage, he's talking about the reality that our tongues sometimes are like a snake, a deadly poisonous snake, which is kind of a scary picture if you're like me and you don't like snakes, which should be about everybody, right? But he, I think James wants to scare us a little bit because he wants us to know that our tongues are a problem and our words that we use can be a problem. And I love here in the middle of the passage, 
um, in the beginning of verse eight, uh, James says this, that no human being can tame the tongue. Now, this isn't like a hopeless thought that James brings us. I think it's more of a, a revealing and illuminating thought that, hey, if we're trying to tame our tongues on our own, we can't do it. We need outside help. We need divine help if we're going to tame our tongues because no human being on their own can tame their tongue. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But let me ask you this when we talk about taming and being untamed. What does an untamed tongue look like? What does it look like when our tongue is out of control and it's not domesticated at all? What does it look like? Maybe for you, it looks like making cheap shots at other people so that you can feel better and maybe cheap shots at other people so you look better. Maybe for you, it's, it's spreading gossip, sharing rumors. Maybe somebody um, comes to you and says, hey, please don't share this with anybody, but you go and you text somebody or you're like, hey, Susie told me not to tell anybody, but check this out. Maybe that's an untamed tongue. I think that is. Maybe for you, it's this, and this is where I fall sometimes when I really think about it. It's just sort of dismissing in yourself an unkind remark that you make by doing this. Like, I'm just kidding. I'm just joshing around. I'm just joking. But we dismiss that hurtful thing that we say. Uh, I think I do that often. I'll dismiss something that I just shouldn't have said in the first place by, you know, by trying to diffuse it, making a joke out of it, being like, I'm just kidding around. I'm just kidding around. But I should have never said that. That was unkind. Maybe that's what an untamed tongue looks like. And James says that, hey, it's hard to tame your tongue. It's a lot easier to tame sea creatures, reptiles, birds, and all kinds of animals than to tame our tongue. So James, he's setting out all these illustrations, all these analogies about how powerful and how problematic our tongues can be. Then he goes into the last part of this section, and I think he wants to convince us of this as well, that our words are revealing our words are revealing about what's really going on inside of us as well. He says this in verses uh, 9 through 12. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, he's doing all these different illustrations and analogies here. Fresh water and salt water coming from the same place. Fig trees producing olives. They can't do that. Grapevine producing figs. I mean, he's, he's trying to convince us that um, there's a problem when we have positive, beautiful things coming out of our mouth and negative, hurtful cursing coming out of our mouth as well. And we all can fall into this, but there should be more unity. There should be more clarity about where our mouth actually is, but it reveals what's really going on underneath the surface. I was just thinking as I was reading this passage last summer, I was driving and I was listening to this new worship song, this new church song called Another in the Fire. And it was just moving me in profound ways. The lyrics were just hitting me where I was in my life, and it was just so powerful. And I remember driving, and I was just kind of crying listening to this song. I was trying to sing along, but I couldn't get any of the words out because I was weeping. It was connecting with me so much. And I look up, finally, in my rearview mirror, and I'm getting pulled over by a state trooper, and I look down, and I'm going like 75 miles per hour. So I went from like praising God, having this beautiful moment praising God, to honestly, I, I was saying some words that I cannot say in this message. I was saying some pretty terrible words and because and, I was so upset. And in this very moment, you see praising and cursing coming from the exact same mouth. And I think James is saying here that this is not right when this happens. And, and I, James is not really talking about cuss words. He's not talking about four-letter words. 
Because you know what? We can curse people. We can cuss people out in Christianese, can't we? You guys know what I'm talking about in like church people speak in Christianese. We can curse people out without saying those bad words. I mean, we say sometimes when somebody is just pitiful at what they're doing, we might say, oh, oh, bless their heart. Or we might say, oh, Lord, give me strength to deal with how annoying this person is. And that's like cussing people out, cursing people out in Christianese because it's cutting people down, but it's, you know, dressing it up in Jesus-y language here. So James isn't talking about four-letter words. He's, he's talking about how words can lift people up or tear them down. He uses this Old Testament Hebrew idea of cursing, which was a heavy phrase in the ancient world. You know, Cursing is when you tore somebody down, you actually prayed and wished for terrible things to happen to somebody else. And, he, and James is saying, hey, don't be praising God and tearing down somebody who's made in God's image with your same tongue. I mean, it makes no sense at all. James is saying here that our words really reveal what's going on inside of us. And this harkens back to what James's older brother, Jesus of Nazareth, said in Luke chapter 6. Because Jesus said that words are revealing as well. Jesus says this, starting in verse 43 of chapter 6. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And here's the kicker right here. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For our mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our words are revealing. They reveal what's really going down underneath the surface. They reveal in what position, what posture our heart actually is. Jesus says, and James says in a different way, that for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our words, they're powerful, they're problematic, but they're also revealing what's going on. So there's a lot of uh, bad news about the trouble of our tongues, right? The problem of our words that we speak. But I want to give us some action, some practical steps that we can take so that we can tame our tongue this next week and so that our words are powerful in a positive way. So let's get really practical, really actionable here um, with just a couple steps I want to encourage you guys to take so that you don't get tripped up by this pitfall, by this roadblock of our words. First challenge I want to give you is this, is that I want to challenge you to speak words of life. Speak life-giving words, words of life. Solomon, the second wisest man who ever lived next to Jesus, he said this in the book of Proverbs. He says, the tongue has the power of life and death. The words that we speak, they have the power of life and death. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to actively speak life-giving words, speak words of life to the people that you come in contact with. You never know the power and the impact that life-giving words can spread or the fire of goodness they can ignite in a person's soul. It was about a year ago, and I was in a season before starting Bridgeway where I wasn't sure what my next step was going to be. I was discouraged. My confidence had been knocked in a way, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I had somebody give me a phone call, and they were just checking in on me. And I'll never forget what they said. They, they said that, Joel, you were created to lead. You were created to teach, to preach. So go and do that, and we will follow. And those words, man, they stuck with me. They were so powerful to me. And I think about those words all the time on days that I'm discouraged, days where I'm not sure about what our next step is. 
those words that you were created to do exactly what you're doing. Oh, they're so powerful. And they spoke life into me when I thought that I was dead. And I want to encourage you to be the type of person who speaks those life-giving words to other people. Encourage people. Check on people that might be hurting. Compliment people liberally. Just do it all the time. Find people. Catch people doing things that are right and celebrate them for it. You never know the impact, the lasting impact that your life-giving words can have on somebody's life and somebody's story that they're living. That might be what they needed to get through another day and to encourage themselves to take the next step that God has for them. So let's be people that don't just spew negative, critical, complaining thoughts towards everybody, but speak words of life to the people that we come in contact with. Speak words of life. The next challenge I wanna give you is to speak words of life often, all the time. Don't just hold it in once or twice a year, but speak words of life often. I forget where this is from, but you heard that growing up then. If you don't have something nice to say, uh, don't say anything at all. I, I think that, there's the Christian version of that, the Jesus following version, that's better. It would say something like this. If you don't have something kind or nice to say, think of something kind and nice to say, and then say it. It's not okay just to be quiet, but we need to actively be speaking words of life often in rhythm to the people that we come in contact with. And so families, moms and dads, I want to encourage you to find rhythms where you can speak words of life into your sons and into your daughters. And dads, specifically for you, to not hold those words that you know could be so powerful to your kids in because you might feel awkward, you might feel like it's not um, authentic for you to say it all the time. But dads, your words hold so much power. And you can speak love and life into your sons or daughters in a powerful way that nobody else can. And, And let me just warn you with this. If you hold those words back, If you don't say the words because you're afraid of it being awkward or you just don't uh, feel like it in that moment, I'm telling you that your sons and your daughters will go looking for that affirmation. They will go looking for that love that only you can provide in all the wrong places. You have a responsibility to speak love and to speak words of love often into your kids. Husbands and wives, don't hold back. Uh, Those words, find rhythms. Maybe it's before a meal, maybe it's before bed, or maybe it's right before you leave for work in the morning. Find rhythms to where you can speak those encouraging, life-giving words to your spouse often. Because that's how you make love last, is that you let people know and respect and honor each other often with our words and our actions. And when it comes to the negative words that we use online, I mean, it's really easy to criticize people that are in power or people that we don't like online. And but I wanna challenge you this and the idea of speaking words of life often. I wanna challenge you to pray for somebody twice as much as you criticize them with your words. Pray for that person that you want to send that tweet or share that negative post about twice as much as you say those negative words. I mean, I wanna challenge you to do that. And you might say, I pray for this person all the time, but you really don't. I wanna challenge you, that person that you wanna criticize with your words online, and pray for them twice as much. You know what'll happen? Martin Luther said this, the best way to turn an enemy into a friend is to pray for God's good in their life every day. Man, it will change your attitude towards them. You might not agree with them, but you'll see them as a fellow image bearer of God's image and your respect and your honor and your love for them will grow. So speak words of life often, not just to people that you like, but people that you disagree with and you don't see the world the same way as well. So I want to challenge you to speak words of life, say those words and speak those words of life often. The last thing I want to challenge you with 
is to check under the hood. Check what's going on in your heart. Because if you're saying negative, hurtful words often, there's something going on in your heart. Because from the heart, our mouths speak, right? That's what Jesus said. That's what James said. So let me ask you this. If you have a critical heart, I hope you understand that a critical heart produces critical words of people. If you have a self-righteous heart thinking that your stuff doesn't stink and your life is just perfect, it produces judgmental words. If you have a fearful heart, it produces negative thoughts and negative words. If you have a bitter heart, man, it produces harsh words. Maybe your words are so negative and harsh and judgmental and critical because your heart is cold. Your heart has been cut off from God's love in a way. You haven't opened it up to him. And I don't want you to think that uh, changing our words is just us trying to white knuckle and control the issue and just be like, I'm going to try harder to use more positive words. No, this is a matter of the heart. That's what James says and what Jesus said, that it reveals what's really going in our heart. So for you, if you're, you've got these words coming out of your, your mouth all the time and you know that something's wrong with your heart, man, I want to encourage you to ask God to change your heart. Ask God to dig a new well, to uproot what's poisoning you. Invite him into your heart levels and see the work that he does, that he only can do. I want to challenge you to speak words of life, to speak those words of life often and liberally. And I want to ask you to encourage you to check under the hood to see what's going on in your heart and invite God into what's going on under the hood in your heart. Let me, let me leave you with this, this thought. If each year we fill up 66, 66 books, 800 pages long, what story is your year telling with your words? We fill up these books, but what story is it telling? Is it telling a story of negativity, of criticism? of a pity party? Or is it telling the story of life, of light and laughter and hope and healing? My friends, our words are telling a story. Let's make it a good story. Let's invite God into the way that we use our mouths to tame our tongues so that we don't set the forest on fire. We don't set our relationships on fire with negativity, but we set them on fire with love and hope and healing and grace. That's the invitation that James gives us. That's the challenge that James gives us. And our Heavenly Father invites us into that.